would you pray with, would you pray with me we hope, I just want people to know that today I think you deeply 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 want people to know that you are a good God Father Son and Spirit who loves us so 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 much so today can we humbly say we are your children I just think you're we're going to end today asking, seeking, knocking after you, but I wonder if today that you're asking, seeking, knocking after us. You're chasing us. You're pursuing us. And I pray that someone new today would know that, that some of us who have known for a while would be reminded. So we just say, come Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. If you know the prayer that Jesus taught his brothers and sisters, would you pray it with me? If you don't, the words will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. I could do something fun here to start. Uh, we've been committing Jesus' words to memory. I use that word intentionally, committing to memory instead of memorization, because I memorized stuff in school and I forgot it already. So we want to commit these words to our memories. We've been doing the Beatitudes. That's Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Well, we're not the only ones doing that. So last week we went downstairs and our, some of our young people are learning to commit these words to memory. And so instead of you saying it today, you just get to watch as our third and fourth graders lead us and show us what they're doing downstairs. And I want to use this as a moment. We have like 200 middle schoolers and high schoolers who serve downstairs. Can I just say, we need more adults. We care very much about our kids. I know that we do. And so I'm asking if you would consider investing in them downstairs. I think you'll be just as blessed as them, if not more. You could do it with someone, bring a spouse, a friend, uh, bring anyone you want. But I'm telling you, if you do it, you'll be blessed. But let's watch them as they memorize, commit the words to memory. Sorry. Give him a hand. Those last two lines are kind of hard, aren't they? They're hard for me too. 
So we're continuing to do that. We have a couple weeks left. Um, I want to start today's, I, I want to tell you a, a, a sentence. So last week I was um, preparing before I came here, and then I came to this room to see what was shared so that we're trying to, to do what Jesus did, have a concise statement. He's leading us somewhere. But so I was getting ready in the morning, and I thought of a sentence that I've heard someone else say, so it's not mine, but it resonated with me, and I came in this room and heard the same, almost the same words. So my sentence for today is, trust the story. Slide number one. Do I trust the story? I'm going to read this next part, and I'm going to come back to it in a little bit. God made you. He loves you. You are his good creation. Very good. His intention is you partner with him in bringing his kingdom here. Can I get slide number six? That's the sentence. I hope you hear that a lot. Do you trust the story? Specifically about today in our passage, which I'll read in just a moment. These last few weeks, Jesus has been inviting his blessed ones to be salt and to be light by rejecting the opinions of others. Not, not, not that we don't care what people say, but it's a misplaced value. I heard someone say this once a long time ago that we should, as followers of Jesus, really truly have an audience of one. That's what he's saying. He's after our motivations. Why do we do the things we do? The next week was having the wrong treasure, rejecting the wrong treasures, organizing our hearts around the wrong things. So we organize our hearts around the wrong things, we start to worry. Because those things cannot last and they cannot do what we hope they would do. And we, I think we kind of know that. So we start to worry about what will happen when it's removed, when it's taken away. What if someone steals it from me? What will I do? And we get strangled by our worry. Which then leads to us trying to, rega- to regain control through judgment. We try to condemn we use our words to try to reassert ourselves as the ones who are in charge to get what we want. So rejecting the above will lead to trusting a good God who gives good gifts. That's what we're doing today. So I'm going to read Matthew 7. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. Matthew 7, we're reading uh, 1 through 12. I will linger a little bit around 1 through 5 because it's kind of important, I think. I think we... If we can kind of work through that, I think 6 through 12 is just going to, I think it's going to kind of happen. You got your device, whatever you want to use. All right. I'm going to come on down. All right. Matthew 7, 1 through 12. And also, I kind of say this. Uh, sometimes when uh, someone stands up front and talks about judging people, it can kind of feel like I'm judging you. And I don't want to do that because I judge people. I condemn people with my words. So I'm just going to insert myself into the text. I'm going to read it to me. Perhaps you can do it to yourself. I don't know if you judge people, but I'm assuming at some point in time you have. All right? So Clayton, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way, Clayton, you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use, Clayton, will be used to you. Clayton, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your eye. Clayton, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from their eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample you or trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he or she who seeks finds, and to they who knock, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son or daughter asks for bread, will give them a stone? Or ask for a fish and you give them a snake? If you then, 
though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. People of God, it's the word of God. All right, so verse 12 sounds familiar, right? Uh, In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. What is that called? Golden rule. Hey, we all know that. It's good. All right, so what's interesting to me is that slide number four is Jesus begins by saying, do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. All of this stuff, right? All of it. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now here in verse 12, he's like, let me just sum it up for you, right? All the stuff we've been talking about. In everything, do to others what you have them do to you. Summary statement by Jesus, right? We all know that. But what's interesting to me is how Jesus phrases it. Because the golden rule was not new. He didn't coin it, didn't make it up. He altered it. So in his day, there were other statements that were similar to Jesus's, okay? I got them on a slide here. Be number uh, five, I think. So top one is Jesus. And everything, do to others what you have them do to you. The bottom two are rabbinical teachings of that day at time period. Do not do to your neighbor what you would consider damaging. Do to no one what you would not want done to you. What's the difference between Jesus' words and their words? One is formed in the positive and one is formed in the negative. We've been talking about eyes now for a couple of weeks, right? Our eyesight, how we see the world around us. There's good eyes and there's bad eyes. The good eyes are what? They're generous. They see the good. They notice the good. And salt and light, what, what, what does salt do? Salt draws out what is good. To draw out what is good, you have to see what is good. Versus the other ones, I would call those bad eyes. They are stingy. They're focused on what I don't want you to do to me, the negative. So would you say that perhaps Jesus has a good eye and the rabbis have a bad eye? Positive, negative. Interesting, right? So as I was thinking about, I I keep coming back to this sermon is so fun. Are you guys having fun with this sermon? I am blown away by Jesus every week. He's fun, he's in touch, he knows what he's talking about, and he's super smart. I appreciate smart people who don't make me feel dumb. And Jesus is doing that. I really appreciate it. So what I can't get over, though, is that he did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Right? So I, I want to change how you think. Repent. Right? Repent. Change how you think. I'm not going to abolish it. I want to fulfill it. So I'm going to tell you what I mean, what I have meant all along, Father, Son, and Spirit, and let me show you how to do it. So it got me thinking about the whole story. Right? My statement, do I trust the story? Do you trust the story? So oftentimes, when we start this story, we start it. I went to the beginning in Genesis 3. Because in Genesis 3, humanity, people, what do we do? We chose not to trust God. We didn't think God was going to will our good. We thought he was holding out on us in Genesis 3. So we chose to become our own God. We'll take care of it, God. I don't trust you. Is essentially what humanity said. And that's, that was a bad thing, right? Bad thing. And it's true. But oftentimes we forget what happened before that. And so in light of, that did happen, but how does the story begin? Can I get that slide number one again? God made you. He made everything. Father, Son, and Spirit extended their circle, their life, their relationship, which we'll talk about in January, to earth to share what they have with us. And they created everything. 
separated light from darkness, sun, moon, and stars, people, vegetation, land from water, animals, creatures, things that fly, things that creep, and us. God made you. He loves you. Genesis 1, 1, 2. You are his good creation. Very good, he says, right? His intention and that beginning of the story was that you would partner with him in bringing his kingdom here. Go be a blessing, he said. How did Jesus summarize be a blessing? Go be salt. Go be light. It starts in a garden, an untamed garden, and ends in a big city. Garden to city requires what? A lot of work, a lot of partnering. So that's the story. That's the, so do I trust the story? Do I think there's a God who loves me? Yeah, broken. I'll use myself a lot today. But he knows, Jesus knows, that he came to restore everything. He is going to redeem it if I, if I help him or not. Because he's God and that's what he's going to do because he loves his whole creation. So to me, the sermon is saying, come on. This is what I've been trying to do all along. Come do it with me. Is that making sense? What a good story. Do I trust the story? So what we're going to do today, slide number seven. We're going to get into judgment. So to do to others, right, summary statement, what we want them to do to us require us wrestling with us. This is a, it's not almost universal. It's universal. We all judge people, me included. But if we can kind of start figuring it out, talking about it, not fixing it today. We'll judge people later this week, I'm sure. But my hope today is that we recognize when we do it. My hope today is that we remember when we have so that we can ask for forgiveness. And then maybe in the future, when we think about doing it again, because we sought forgiveness, because we asked for it, we found out what happened when we said that thing, we might do it less. And over time, I think we'll do less judging. I think we're going to become patient people. And it's going to alter the way that we talk to God. Sound like a plan? All right, let's get into it. Matthew 7, starting at 1 through 2. Do not judge, Clayton, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, Clayton, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it's measured to you. So I find, I was doing this, I was preparing, I find we're in a really interesting moment in time because uh, judgment, uh, we don't want anyone to judge me. Like, don't judge me, right? What do we say? Only God can judge me. I think that was a famous rap song, wow, like a long time ago. Only God can judge me. Don't judge me. Don't tell me what I should and shouldn't do. You can't do that. It's not your job. True. But we use that. I don't think we actually want God to do that either. We're just using it as a way to make sure you don't do that to me and I can do what I want. Right? We agree on that. Don't judge me. Common language. Problem, though, is that we live in a day and age where it's either judge or be judged. So something bad happens, and I'm, I would say, I'd argue, almost required to make an external communication of judgment about the thing that just happened. And if I don't judge it quickly, I am judged. Right? So I might not... A lot of things that we judge, me, I'll talk about me, I don't know what actually happened. I was not there. I did not witness it. I feel like if I watch the news, I get two very different stories, so I have no idea what's happening. But I'm required to make a judgment statement. Would you, does that sound true? And if I don't, you, the person, other people do just assume I'm on the other side. 
and then they judge me. So what a weird thing. What a predicament. Don't judge me, but I have to judge you or you'll judge me back. It's kind of a weird thing, right? What do we do with that? This seems kind of confusing. So I kept going in. So why do we judge people? So like psychologists today, I found, have four reasons why we do this currently. And the four reasons are this. One is oftentimes we are insecure. We don't like who we are. So we actually judge ourselves. I've been guilty of this. Self-condemnation. We have negative self-talk. And we tell people about it. We condemn ourselves. And all four of these reasons you're going to see, I don't really, as I read them, I know I do them, but I can't figure out why I do them. So why would I do that? Second reason is that I'm scared. I'm worried someone might take my treasure. So what do I do? I judge. I try to regain control because I'm fearful, I'm intimidated. I think what I want won't happen. So I use my words to try to reassert myself as the right voice and I judge them. Third reason is that we're lonely. Strangely, we like to get together with other people who are just as mad as us at other people, and we become friends about our anger at the other group. I mean, it's election week. Do you guys know that there's an election this week? <laughs> I don't know if I got the numbers right, <clears throat> but I think, if I remember right, Kelly, correct me if I'm wrong, we lost this the other day, that we spent like a billion or so dollars on advertisements, and we have like four million ads that have been aired, I think. Those numbers could be wrong. Either way, it's a lot. So what, what are we doing? We're finding the people that we like on our station and we're buddies because those people are awful and we're just saying stuff about them, right? We, be, we make friends being mean. When you hear it that way, it's like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Are we ever gonna fix anything? I don't know, probably not. Fourth reason is that we're seeking change. We want our lives to be different. It is not different. And so I see someone who has the life that I want. What do I gotta do? I gotta bring them down to my level. I gotta knock them down a couple pegs because I want that. I'm not gonna get that right now. So you can't have it either. So I judge them, I condemn them. But in Jesus' day, there were different reasons to use the word judgment. I'm always interested in what Jesus is trying to talk about. So I think he's talking about something a little bit different, which I think plays into some of those things. There are three reasons to judge in Jesus' day. The first one was civil judgment. Hopefully our court systems are listening to the laws and are making judgments based on our laws. That's a good thing, right? Good thing. Second reason is that we have to discern things, to know things. I like this teaching. A guy said this, that uh, in the beginning, God separated the light from the darkness, and that's forever our task with him, to know what is light, to know what is good, and to know what is dark and what is bad. We need to know those things. That is good to know, right? We need to know that. Third reason, though, I think maybe what Jesus is getting into is you could also judge the value of a sacrifice. So when you came to temple and you brought your sacrifice, it was judged. Was it valuable enough to be used or not? So the sermon, I think, is it's about how to live with relationship to God and with people. So perhaps he's saying you cannot make value statements. You don't get to decide the value of people. He said, that is what you're doing. You don't get to assign value. I don't get to assign value. That's not my job. Also, because I don't know the whole story. I don't know where people have come from. Me, I probably don't know what's happening currently very well, and I don't know what the future holds. 
If I, that's a lot of things I do not know. And she says, I know. We'll do that. You don't do that. You don't do that. He tells this parable later about the kingdom, and the kingdom comes. And he compares it to a farmer. I was using farmers. A farmer in a field, and he scatters seed. He's going to plant some wheat. That night, the evil one comes. He scatters weeds. The farmhands say, should we go pull the weeds? Do you remember what Jesus said, the farmer said? No. Because when you try to pull the weeds, you might pull up the wheat. Because in Jesus' day, the wheat and the weeds could only be distinguished at the harvest. They both looked the same, they stood up the same, but at harvest time, the wheat, which was the good, would bow. And that's when you knew. So what is he saying? Don't value people. Don't say what they're worth. Don't say what they should and shouldn't. You, you just don't know. But he says, but how freeing, though, is it to him say, I know. I'll take care of him. But you get to help me be salt and light. So don't, Clayton, you don't know. Don't pretend you do. So I read this. The bottom line when it comes to condemnation, of all kinds, the writer said, even with the best of intentions, we'll talk about that in a minute, condemnation can very, 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 very easily communicate that the one on the other end of the statement, whether you want it to or not, is in some deep and possibly irredeemable way bad. Their whole person is bad, and they are to be rejected. They're not acceptable, and the best path forward is for them to be excluded. So do you remember when we, weeks ago, anger to contempt to malice? Remember how that process went? We're angry. What happens in contempt? I don't care enough about you for you to be a part of my life. So we remove them from our lives. But typically, like we're watching right now, is we keep saying malicious things at them, even when they're gone. So the, the, the person who feels condemned feels like they do not belong anymore and they can't be there anymore, which is very different than what we've been talking about for weeks now, love, willing the good of another. Two statements I like. Love is loyalty and commitment to serve a person so they become more like Jesus, even if it means I give up my own rights and privileges like Jesus. Love is unconditional commitment to an imperfect person which once give once which ones wow well, I can't read that in which one gives oneself to another to bring the relationship to God's intended purposes. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world; He sent His Son to save it. So, what did you say we should do? Because we know people who can be on paths of destruction. How do we help? What do we do? Verse three, Clayton, why look at the speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister to take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in my eye? You hypocrite. Take out the plank and then help him. So I think Jesus is saying, my opinion, model it out. Show them how it works. Because when I know I have a plank in my eye and I have to take it out, I am self-aware. I am aware of my stuff which we've been doing for weeks, 
right? Jesus, he's assessing our hearts, the me that no one sees but is me. So if you've done this work with Jesus, I, I, if I have a plank in my eye, I did this earlier, I cannot see that half the room. I can't see anything. So how can I help someone if I can't see their whole person? I can't. I don't know the whole story. But how much more fun is it when someone shows you how to do something versus tell you how to do something? So what you do is you say, guess what? I've got junk. Let me show you how to, I'm taking it out of my eye. I'm going to name it and acknowledge it to you. So that person can say, oh, that's how you do that. Versus saying, you've got to fix that. Say, this is how you get rid of it. That's different. That sound different? So you need to remove the plank out of your own eye, and then you do it together. So I was reading a book called Habits of the Household. We have a class on it right now, so if you're in my class tonight, I'm ruining part of the class. But the author tells a story. He says, I was in college, and I'd gone away to college. I was a freshman in college, and I was making the worst decisions, tons of them, and I knew it. So I got to have uh, sit around with my dad around a campfire. And my dad, he's like, I'm pretty sure my dad knew, probably knew. So he could have told me. He said, but you know what he did? He said, you know, when I was your age, I really struggled with this and this and this. I struggled. And then he felt like, oh, well, I'm struggling with this. And they could have a conversation. So what does dad do for him? He showed him, take the plank out of my eye. And then what did he do? Oh, the author said that was one of the most important nights of his whole life. He said it changed the trajectory of his life because his dad was just vulnerable and honest with him about what he struggled with. Model it out. I think that's what Jesus is saying. So we have... So I was just saying, okay, okay, model it out. What, what did Jesus, so I was just saying, all right, let's go back to Jesus. How did Jesus deal with people who he thought were immoral? The, the broken, the bad. What do you do? I read, I read a book and somebody said this. So the people in his day that were considered immoral, right? Well, oftentimes there were people that didn't actually do anything to become immoral. It was actually some things that were done to them. They were marginalized because of sickness, because of relational issues. So what did he do with those people? He included them. He gave them his time, his touch, his presence, his attention. He accepted their whole person, immorality included. I think because he knew if he stayed in contact with them, they would change. He just wanted them to stay near him so he could love them. And I think he thinks that They'll become different. There's story after story after story of that happening in here. Just to be by Jesus, to not be removed, change their lives. So, back to that first, do I trust the story with people that I don't understand yet? Do I? That God loves them, that he made them that he wants to redeem them. That is his plan. That is his intention. He's trying to do that. And he's saying, do it with me. So I was, personal story. Um, so, and I think it models out how we have the wrong treasure. It leads to worry. It leads to judgment. So when I was in college, I played basketball. And basketball was my treasure. 
without a doubt. It consumed my everything, my mind constantly. I just thought about basketball. It's it. When you play basketball, sometimes you miss shots, right? You don't always play very well, which led to some worry. Worry I wouldn't be good enough. Worry that people might not think I'm good. All the way back to number six, my motivation for even wanting to be good at basketball. I wanted people to like me and accept me. So it became my treasure. But then you always, always play well. And then you get worried about it. And then what would I do? Then you see other people who are playing better than you. And what do you do to them? Even teammates. You backhanded comments. Say things to coaches about what they're not doing. How they're not in the weight room enough. I didn't see them at practice today. They didn't come to off-season workouts. Why? I was judging, condemning them because I wanted what I wanted. And what happened was it was moving into my whole life. So I'll never forget this. I was downstairs in our house in the summer. And you all know my dad, right? He's pretty nice. Like, he says nice things. And what's funny is uh, uh, oftentimes when we talk to him, we think that he, we're going to like, learn lots of stuff. When you talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. Do you ever do that with him? You talk the whole time. He never talks. And somehow you think you learn something by the end. I don't know how he does that. <laughs> but he came down to my room. I'm talking about, I think... So as disciples of Jesus, we have to want to be coached. If you're not coachable, you'll never be any good. Someone told me that. He came down to my room, and all he said was this. Clayton, you're far from God. And he left. He was right. He had developed relationships, though. He knew me. He didn't name the things I was doing. He got to the heart of it. You are far from God. And it's been a journey back. A smart person told me once, things like that are little clicks. Like when you're in the ocean with a big boat, you slowly turn. I've been slowly turning. I think we're all slowly turning. But all he says, he got at the heart of the issue. And he coached me. I think that's what we're supposed to do to each other. Instead of condemn... We're helping move people along. But according to Jesus, though, if you keep going forward, you've got to be wise and your timing's got to be right. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. What in the world is Jesus talking about? So in Jesus' day, pigs and dogs were the pagan nations. You were not in the family of God. Right? And it was not as derogatory as it sounds. Not great, but it wasn't as derogatory. People knew these things. So what he's saying is, you have to be patient in how you share the good news. When you share the good news. You have to know the person. You have to be in step with the Spirit to know what, when to say what to say. Because if you say it too early, if you oversay, pigs can't wear pearls. They don't eat them, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe they eat them. It probably wouldn't go well. Or dogs, right? So you have to be patient with them because they're not ready for what you're trying to say. But how did you start the sermon? Let your good deeds shine before people so that they praise your Father in heaven. It's not just your deeds. I think, I think he's talking about your whole life. How do you live? How do you work? How do you talk? How do you forgive? How do you say I'm sorry? People, watch how you live. All the words you say, and they're going to say, hold on a minute. 
And that's the moment where the Spirit will say, tell them. Tell them why you are the way you are. He says, I got your heart. But you have to be patient. In verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock that it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And him who knocks the door is opened. Which of you, if his son or daughter asks for bread, will give them a stone? Or ask for a fish and give them a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how, that makes me laugh every time I read that. I'm sorry. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So as I'm learning, so we have to, I've seen that applied to like prayer in general. I don't know if that's true because if I'm reading the whole sermon, what's he been talking about? What did he just get done talking about? How we're in relationship with people. So I wonder, my wondering is if he's saying our asks and our prayers, our knocks, our seeking is on behalf of people. You know, it says in Deuteronomy 32 that the Lord's people are his portion. They are his treasure. So as, as God becomes my treasure, what happens? His treasure becomes mine. So I think he's, these are specific prayers for people. We want them to be in the kingdom, God. Tell me how to love them. Tell me how to pursue them. Tell me how to seek them. Tell me when to knock on their door. I think they're specific to people. So in everything you do, do to others what you will have them do to you. That sums up the law and the prophets. So there's a story, and I'll invite the band up. There's a story that in the Bible that gets used a lot when it comes to judgment. And it's when Jesus flips the tables in the temple. And I heard a person teach on this recently and it struck me. So what was happening was people were not allowed to come be near God, right? There were rules, money, all these things were keeping people from the place where they thought God was, which made Jesus rightfully very angry. I think he might have been a little more controlled than we think. I think he was very, he was timely. He wasn't throwing his pearls to pigs. At the right moment, he went in and he turned the tables. But the person teaching said, do we, do we know what happened after what, what immediately follows the turning? The blind, the leper, and the children flood the temple. The people who are not allowed to come, the immoral. They felt like they could come. And what did he do? He healed them. Children sang and celebrated. So Jesus' condemnation made a way for people to be with him. And that's, I think, the challenging task that we have with him, to partner with him. But I think it comes back to, do I trust the story that God loves everyone that he has made? That's what he said. Knowing they will be fallen, knowing they will be sinners, knowing all those things. He still made them. He still loves them. He still wants them. And he'll figure out the ending. But that's not our job. Let's pray. God, I just pray that we trust you. That we would know in these next moments what you did for us. How you think of us. And that perhaps in moments we'll, to come we will think about that. 
and it will change how we live.